Let us pray. Lord, we have quieted our hearts in your presence today. We have uh, worshipped you this morning. Uh, some, many people uh, in this very place, in this sanctuary. And uh, Lord, we have been nourished by your word, but now we seek to be nourished again. So please, speak, for your servants are listening. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, it's a, it's a real privilege uh, to study God's Word with you today. Um, I've come to know some of you over the, over the three and a half years that we've been here, and uh, I look forward to getting to know more of you over, over the time that we can spend together. Uh, one of the blessings of being in Lacombe is that uh, there are so many wonderful churches that we can partner together as we seek to proclaim the gospel in this community, and it's a real privilege uh, to be your neighbor and to be your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, now, the story we just read is, uh, it, it may seem sort of out of context for you, but if you were at Wolf Creek Community Church this spring, this was part of a long sermon series that we did uh, through the book of Exodus. And um, I just want to give you a bit of context before we kind of dig into this story. Over the last year, I've, I've been thinking quite a lot about Moses' story from Exodus. And I've always loved his story. Uh, as a child, I remember going back, and I often would go back to the Old Testament narratives because they were just so gripping for me. They, they engaged me well, especially the stories of David, actually. But um, also the stories of Moses and the people of Israel. I've always loved his story. And I've spent quite a lot of time thinking about it this year, but as I've gotten older, and I'm now in my seventh year of ordained ministry, I'm starting to look at Moses' story from a little different perspective, uh, maybe more from a leader's perspective. And in fact, I'm reading a book right now called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership by Ruth Haley Barton. I'm actually reading it for the second time in a, in a couple years, which tells me that it's, it's obviously hitting me where I need to be hit right now. And uh, Pastor Ruth... Uh, does a really good job following Moses' story and reflecting on it from a leader's perspective. And it's just, it's really exactly what I need right now. But Moses' story isn't only for pastors and leaders of the church. It's for everyone. And so I invite you into this story today, this journey with Moses for a short time. And um, I, uh, I invite you into the, a, a journey that actually many people have been on this year. Um, I had the privilege of going to the uh, 2014 Calvin Symposium on Worship in Grand Rapids, Michigan in January. And uh, they happened to be studying Exodus. And so it was kind of there at, during that worship uh, symposium that this sermon series was, was birthed in my mind. And uh, so I imagine thousands of people um, following Moses' story all across North America and the world and then here at Wolf Creek this spring, and now here we are at Bethel Church doing the very same thing. As I think about the 2014 uh, Calvin Symposium on Worship, I'm reminded of Reverend Scott Jose, one of our um, really excellent preachers in the Christian Reformed Church in North America. And he preached uh, on, on one of the uh, Exodus, one of the Moses stories. He also preaches on Exodus 16, and he does just such a wonderful job 
uh, bringing out Moses' story for us. And there's something he does that, that is really helpful. I want to just bring it out for you. He talks about the two reactions we commonly face in when we're suffering. Denial and despair. He says, we can try to avoid suffering altogether, pretend it's not real, and so lead a lifelong pursuit toward a pain-free existence of bliss. Or we can become so walloped by our pains and sufferings and disappointments in life and become trapped by them. So as we enter into this story of Exodus 16, I wonder which of these, denial or despair, is your default response in the face of suffering. I invite you to think about that for a moment. And as we think about the uh, Israelite story, I think they experienced both from time to time. But in this particular story, I think despair won out. One month had passed since Israel left Egypt. Not long, but long enough to get tired of the desert. Now, if you just read before this story, you'll know that Israel just spent a, a wonderful little break, a little, uh, little retreat at the Elam Oasis. Uh, they just spent a few glorious days sitting by the water and with the palm trees, kind of sitting on the beach. And they're thinking, wow, like this, I've been waiting for this retreat all my life. We can just imagine the joy and, and the rest they had that, uh, during that time. We can just imagine um, them, the children uh, swimming in the, in the oasis. And we can just see the, the, uh, the moms and dads and, and grandparents actually sitting down and kicking back, putting their feet up for the first time in years, sitting on the beach. Hey, this living in the desert business wasn't so bad after all. This is actually pretty good. But then they left Elam, and they moved into the desert of Sin, where food and water were scarce. And after a few days of this, they were absolutely done. Despair kicked in, and the grumbling started. And all eyes turned to Moses and Aaron. If only we died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Despair, but also denial. Only a month had passed since the great escape from Egypt. One month. And already the Israelites had forgotten the Lord's provision, how he had saved them from slavery in Egypt. But in the desert, in this place of suffering, the hardship of Egypt looked relatively easy. At least they had food to eat. Now, I don't think they had the endless buffets that they talk about in Egypt. I'm sure they didn't have a lot of food, but at least they ate regular meals. Now, as we think about the complaining, the, the despair of the Israelites in the desert, we have to admit um, this would have been a challenging time in their lives. Think about the desert, a barren place with limited vegetation. Food and water hard to come by, the heat intense. I mean, this was no place to live. How could the Israelites flourish in the desert? 
Well, they decided they couldn't. They didn't sign up for this. Yes, they were free from slavery, but now they felt like they were locked up in another prison called the desert. As we think about the desert, sometimes we think about having desert or wilderness experiences. Uh, times of great challenge or suffering. And we've all been through it, or we will go through it at some point in our lives. Perhaps the death of a spouse or a close friend, a physical or mental illness, a major setback at school or work, um, anxiety, depression, unemployment, the loss of a dream, you name it. We all know what it's like to live in the desert. So what's your desert experience? As I look at you, I don't know all of you, uh, but I know that uh, all of us have had a desert experience or two or many in our lives. And perhaps you're in the desert right now. And if so, what's your response? Have you, like the Israelites, begun to grumble against your leaders? Have you, like the Israelites, forgotten God's provision Have you, like the Israelites, lost all hope? Now listen, as I I ask those questions, I don't want to minimize your struggle. I mean, I know living in the desert is tough. We've all been there. I've been there too. It's the toughest thing you'll ever do. It's the kind of thing you wouldn't wish on anyone. Inevitably, we find ourselves in the wilderness at one time or another, It's not if, but when. So how do you respond when you're in the wilderness? You know, thinking about being in the wilderness reminds me of the prophet Elijah. You may recall the story in the Old Testament how he had just defeated the prophets of Baal. He had won this great victory on Mount Carmel. Now you'd think Elijah would celebrate But instead, he ran into the wilderness, away from Queen Jezebel, who wanted to kill him. He felt so depressed, he wanted to die. Helpless and hopeless, the Lord meets Elijah in the desert. He feeds him. He gives him rest. Then he speaks to him through that still, small voice, a gentle whisper. In the desert, The Lord gave Elijah what he needed most. He gave him himself. If you read a little further on in the book of Exodus, you come to chapter 34, verses 6 to 7. A very, very significant passage of Scripture in the Old Testament. And it's repeated in various ways and places. It's a base text. And this is how it reads. The Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. You know, as we think about... um, the Israelites grumbling in the desert. We kind of expect God to punish them, don't we? But instead, what does he do? He feeds them. 
He has mercy on them. The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, knows the challenges of the desert. And he knows people die there. And he's so gracious and compassionate. He hears their cry and ministers to them in the most practical way possible. By feeding them, having mercy on them. He gives them manna, bread from heaven. Now, in, in the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 11, we, count, we encounter a similar story with a different outcome. The people were tired of this manna. They just wanted meat. And Moses heard their complaining, and so did the Lord, and he became angry. He sent the meat all right, but as we read in, in chapter 11, verse 35, while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed... The anger of the Lord burned against the people and he struck them with a severe plague. This story reminds us that grumbling is never acceptable. But as we go back into Exodus chapter 16, we think there's something bigger is going on here. We know the Lord knows the hearts of his people. Perhaps they simply didn't know any better. I mean, they were on their way to Sinai. They were on their way to receive God's law, and they had so much to learn. And in order to learn well, they needed food. And even more, they needed love. So the Lord sent the Israelites food in the desert. But more importantly, the Lord sent the Israelites himself. As we read in verse 10, while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert. And there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. So what's your response when you're in the desert? Denial? Despair? Exodus chapter 16 is an early biblical hint. There's a third way. It's the way of growth of maturity, of trusting God even when, and maybe especially when, the bottom drops out. And it's the way of just possibly finding a deeper and stronger faith in God as a result. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I mean, just like the Israelites experienced, and we have experienced too, desert living is tough. None of us purposely moves out into the wilderness. But sometimes we find ourselves there anyway, and the question then becomes, so now what? What am I going to do about this? How am I going to respond? Will I just deny all this pain and act like it's no big deal? Will I get trapped in this pain and, and kind of curdle up into a lifelong paralysis of faith and deep bitterness? Or in and through my laments, my understandable lamenting to the Lord, will I look for the glory of the Lord that may just be revealed to me even here in this place of death and sorrow. You know, just as the Lord met the Israelites in the desert, He meets us. We just only have to look for Him. Look into the desert and see His glory. And we know this is true because it happened to Israel and Elijah. And we know it's true because it happened to Jesus himself. Jesus also suffered, as we know, all through his life, and especially on the cross. Sometimes we think he only suffered on the cross, but he suffered so much more than that. 
According to the prophet Isaiah, Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. So because Jesus suffered body and soul, he understands our suffering too. As we read in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he didn't sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What a comfort it is to know that the Lord not only understands our suffering, He remains with us in it. So when you're, when you're in the desert, just think of the people of Israel looking into the desert and seeing the glory of the Lord. The Lord was always with Israel. They just needed to look for Him. And the Lord is always with us. We just need to keep looking for Him. Now, I know that's easier said than done. I mean, when you're in the desert, survival is the order of the day. Sometimes it takes all you've got just to get up in the morning. But as you do what you need to do to survive in the desert, I invite you to stay alert and be attentive. Look for God's glory. Look for the ways he's working in your life, how he's revealing his glory in the desert. This takes a lot of listening and self-reflection, staying calm and courageous in the midst of suffering. So I'd like to suggest or, or recommend two spiritual practices for you that I find especially helpful when I'm in the desert. Worship and solitude and silence. You know, some people are tempted to leave a church when it goes through the desert, to look for an oasis, you know, greener pastures. I think the Lord does call us to move on sometimes, uh, to leave one local church and go to another, but never to leave the church of Jesus Christ altogether. So I urge you to keep worshiping the Lord in, in a community of faith, and preferably this one. And on the other six days, I invite you to take moments of solitude and silence to stop your work for a few minutes each day, to sit quietly in a comfortable chair or go for a walk, or whatever it takes for you to just to be a little more reflective, to just rest in God's presence and look for His glory, to listen for His gentle whisper spoken through Scripture and the voice of the Spirit. And as you practice these basic spiritual disciplines and others like it, uh, we are assured that we will receive God's gift in the desert himself. Now, we all have wilderness experiences, but happily, we're never alone. The Lord is with us. And as we look into the desert, as we face our suffering and hardships and pursue the path of maturity and spiritual growth, we will surely see God's glory. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people say,
Amen. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for speaking to us again through your word. Not only speaking your comforting words to us, but revealing yourself to us through those words. We thank you for this story of Israel, uh, this story of suffering in the desert, because it relates to us in one way or another, because we all have or will suffer. We all have or will be in the desert. And Lord, we thank you for those times when you have revealed your glory to us in the desert. And we pray that you would continue to do that because we know there are more wilderness experiences to come. We thank you for the promise that you are with us at all times, even to the very end of the age. And so you will also be with us in the desert. Lord, we take this promise with us now as we go through another week, serving you in your kingdom. Lord, bless this church. This is a church that you birthed many years ago. Jesus died for it. The Spirit is guiding it. Lord, bless this church. May it grow and flourish and bear very good fruit. And may you use it to preach the gospel faithfully in this community. And may you continue to, to uphold all the people here, uh, including the leaders and Pastor Mike as, as they seek to lead this flock. Lord, bless Bethel Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's continue to respond to God's word as we, as we sing our next song. I invite you to rise.